Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you that these online resources are never meant to be a substitute for God's good plan for you to be present, connected, and serving in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you live in the West Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we encourage you to come check out one of our Sunday services. Now, as you prepare your heart to receive God's word, we pray that his spirit would use the sermon powerfully in your life. Well, a lot's happened already in our service, and I trust you've been encouraged and blessed. Uh, But this morning, we're going to continue and go to the Word of God. And this morning, rather than marching too quickly uh, through the book of Genesis, as we've been doing, uh, over the next three Sundays, we're going to be zooming in on the origin story of humanity. What is meant in God's heart when he created human beings? And today, uh, we're going to focus on uh, what the Bible says about being uh, a man. And next week, we're going to focus on what the Bible says about being a woman. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to focus on what the Bible says about marriage and its instrumental role in the plan and purposes of God. And I want you to know I have two very simple goals over the next three weeks. First, I want us to have a clearer picture of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, and the absolute significance of the institution of marriage. That's my first goal. And my second goal over the next three weeks is this. I want us to uh, celebrate unapologetically what God has done in creating us. The world is unapologetic about many things. And the church is too often very uh, quiet and sometimes ashamed. And one of my goals, as I said, over the next three weeks is that we would celebrate what God has done in creating us, male and female. So I want you to take your Bibles right away and turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be picking up where we left off last time, going verse by verse through the book of Genesis, an instrumental, critical study through the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. And if you don't have a Bible, you can put up your hand And one of the ushers would love to put a copy of God's word into your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We'd love you to take it home and read it and have your life changed by the word of God. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 18 to 20. Again, continuing in our series through the book of Genesis, forming and reinforcing a biblical worldview. So needed in the days that we're living in. And my prayer for us as a church is that we are not confused about what God has made so plain and clear in the midst of a society that is massively confused. Genesis chapter 2, starting from verse 18. And this is what it says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. All right, Moses is taking us in zoomed in fashion to day six of creation. He's zooming in for us on what is happening in the creation of humanity. And as we look at creation, as we examine what God is doing in the creation specifically of human beings, we get a clear idea of God's intention for your life and for my life and the very fabric of our being created by God. And so in creation, we learn several things. I want us to make a note of this first. In creation, we learn a God's design of complementarity. God's design of complementarity. This is very critical for us as we get started because we live in a world that makes maleness and femaleness fluid. We live in a world where women could be men and men could be women. Men can do everything that women could do and women can do everything that men can do. But is this what the origin story tells us? Is this what the Bible teaches us? I want you to look at verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, notice, it is not good that the man should be alone. So right away, if you've been with us in our series, going verse by verse and line by line through Genesis, you'll notice something jarring, almost abrupt here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. You'll notice because you remember that all throughout Moses' account of creation in Genesis 1, you'll remember that he's been emphasizing uh, the goodness of all that God has done in creating, all that God has spoken into existence. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 4, in verse 10, in verse 12, in verse 18, and verse 21, in verse 25, over and over and over again, you'll remember that we see this intentional refrain, and it was good, and it was good. Everything that God had spoken into existence was good. And then we get to verse 31 of chapter one, upon the creation of human beings, we read, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now all of a sudden, Moses continues to zoom in on day six of creation. We read something uh, shocking. All of a sudden, something within God's good creation is spoken of as not good. In fact, in the original Hebrew, this is emphatic, and it actually means this is bad. What exactly is bad? Well, look at it in verse 18. And the Lord God said, it's not good, here it is, that the man should be alone. Now this teaches us at least two very important and worldview-shaping truths. First, it teaches us that God has created us as social beings. It's not good that man should be alone. 
All of us have been created for community. God says it's bad to be alone. Now, this should shape our worldview. We live in a world where it's easy to isolate from other people. This is not what we were created for. That's the first thing we see here. But the second thing we learn is this, that God has created, listen, the woman to fulfill a very special purpose that the man could not fulfill alone. The woman was created as the solution to the man's dilemma. What was the man's dilemma? Well, here's his dilemma. He was alone. God said it's not good that the man should be alone. Notice it in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. Watch this now. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, there are two important things in view here as we consider the creation of woman, and we're gonna look at this in more depth next week. But the phrase, a helper fit for him, or corresponding to him, or opposite to him. That's what it literally means in the Hebrew. That phrase carries the idea of, firstly, absolute equality. That the woman fit for him means, in one sense, that she will be like the man in essence and personhood. She is his counterpart. But there's something else very, very important here that we cannot miss. And it's this. While the woman is created 100% equal to the man in essence and personhood, this, by the way, is established in Genesis 1, 27, when the man and woman are created 100% equally in the image of God, that while the woman is created 100% equal to the man in essence and personhood, listen, the woman is not created the same as the man in function or role. And this is where we begin to see very clearly what the world around us has blatantly abandoned and in many cases hated, the creation of men and women as totally equal and, listen, complementary to one another. The first thing I want us to see is God's design of complementarity between men and women. Now, we understand the concept of complementarity intuitively. We, we all understand that intuitively. We like when things complement each other, don't we? For example, we understand that certain colors complement one another, while other colors, when put together with certain colors, they may clash. Complementary colors are beautiful when put together. Clashing colors are ugly. We understand that intuitively. We know that certain foods complement each other nicely, and we know when other foods uh, don't quite go well together. We, we understand that intuitively. We know that a steak, a good steak, goes really well with some mashed potatoes. And we also understand that if you put that steak with peanut butter, that is disgusting. You understand that. You, you laugh because you know that intuitively. We, we love complementarity, and we understand the concepts intuitively. But isn't it interesting that there's so much hostility in our world concerning complementarity as the concept is applied to the roles of men and women? 
on the screen for you. I want you to see what Adrian Siegel wrote. She wrote this. She wrote, when God created male and female, he did not mean to glorify men and demean women as if helpers somehow meant lesser. God created humans, men and women together, as the pinnacle of all creation, crafting both in his very image. He created them with distinct and complementary attributes, inclinations, and gifts that make them indispensable to one another and to his plan for filling the earth with his glory. That's true. That's true. Brett McCracken on the screen wrote this. He wrote, what is lost when gender becomes merely a fluid social construct with no compass points? What is lost when the idea of complementarity is abandoned or demeaned because, like anything good, it can be abused or applied in problematic ways? Well, among many other things, listen, beauty is lost. To deny or obscure the distinctive complementary traits of men and women is to reject the creative genius of humanity's creator. And this denial also diminishes our own aesthetic enjoyment as beings wired to enjoy a world of stunning polarities and complementary contrasts. Beauty is lost. When we abandon the things that are intuitive to us in every other sphere, but we lose sight of it when it relates to the roles of men and women, this intuition towards the beauty of complementarity, when we abandon that, we lose. Because God has created and God has designed with a distinctive purpose. And this is what's happening, loved ones, in our world. People are grasping for beauty. People are grasping for meaning. People are reaching for purpose, but here's the problem. When you try to find it outside of the creator and all that he has designed, you never grasp and get a hold of beauty. You only find your life filled with pain. And all you have to do is hear the many heartbreaking stories of the men and the women who have subjected themselves, for example, to life-altering surgeries, trying to align their biological bodies with the confusion in their hearts and minds, all the while being promised happiness and fulfillment and beauty, but receiving instead devastation and sorrow. There's no beauty when you deviate from God's design. There's only pain and sorrow and shame and regret. And at the center of the origin story of humanity is a good and loving God who is designing and crafting and fitting together men and women for the beauty of complementarity. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper. So our text today, it gives us a lot to talk about. That's why we're going to break it up over three weeks. 
But for today, we're going to zoom in on God's design, not only for complementarity. You have to understand that as we dive into the rest of today and next week and the week after. But the text also shows us something that we cannot gloss over, especially in the days that we're living in. The second point is this. The text shows us that in creation, we learn, uh, jot this down, God's design for men. God's design for men. Notice verses 19 to 20. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. Notice and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. Here we have, loved ones, in clear view, much of God's intention for the man. So men, I want you to listen up. Let's start with this. What is a man according to the Bible? What is the man's role according to the Bible? We'll start with this. The biblical man is, firstly, a leader. A leader. A biblical man is a leader. You got to understand that in the ancient Near East, the act of naming was associated with kingly rule and authority. We've already seen in previous messages how Moses has established God himself as the sovereign king as he depicts God as a God who speaks and makes and calls and names all the elements of his creation in Genesis chapter 1. Now, a Moses intends to do something similar as he writes Genesis. The man who is made in the image of God is seen to be functioning as God's vice regent. He's ruling and he's organizing and specifically he's seen to be naming the animals. And before God gives the good gift of the woman to the man, he establishes Adam, the man, as the leader. So you got to see that right off the bat. Here's one instance right from our text where we see male leadership as bound up in the fabric of what it means to be a man. So there's a leadership role, an authority, a a headship that's indicated in the naming of the animals. But Adam's leadership is also seen later in chapter three. We will get to it, but I wanna bring it to your attention. As Adam in chapter three, maybe some of you remember, is the one who bears primary responsibility and accountability for what happens in the garden. It's very significant for us to note that in Genesis chapter 3, 9, after the serpent deceived the woman, the Bible says that God called to the man, not to the woman. Even though the woman was the one who was deceived first, God called to the man. Why? Why? It's because the man is the one who bore primary responsibility as the leader in the garden. It was the man who would be held to account, even though Eve was the one who was deceived first. So what we have here in Genesis is something of the way God has designed men to lead. Now, very important for us to understand that leadership 
is different from control. And leadership is different from domination. Among other things, leadership is the willingness to be held accountable for all that happens under your care in the lives of the people who follow you. And we see that taking place in the earliest account, in the origin story of humanity, that God puts Adam in the garden and bound up in the fabric of who Adam is, what a man is, is this leadership role. The role that makes the man not shriek from responsibility, but step out and to take account. So, a fathers, fathers in the room, listen to me. If our children are disrespectful, what does it mean to be a man as a father? If our children are disrespectful, we shouldn't stand back and look around and wonder what's going on. We shouldn't point the finger at our wives and say, what, what are you doing when I'm at work? Or what, what did you do when you did that? Or what did you mean by, we, we shouldn't do that. If our children are disrespectful, it's on us. Primarily, if you want to clap, you can clap to that. Someone wants to clap. Or, or, or single brothers in the room, let me just love you with this exhortation. If you're having trouble finding a woman, don't look around like it's someone else's fault. I've heard this before. Don't go blaming all the precious ladies in the church. Take responsibility. Lead your own heart. Lead your own heart to be a heart that is under the authority of God's word. That's what leaders do. That's what men do. They take account for their own actions. Or, or husbands, if your marriage is suffering, we should never point the finger at our wives or at our circumstances. And I'm preaching to myself. If there's something going sideways in our marriages, we shouldn't be pointing the finger at our wives. We should be stepping in to be accountable and to take leadership and to do whatever needs to be done to humbly lead that marriage back on track. What does it mean to be a man? It means to be a leader. And so male leadership is seen in the naming of the animals. Male leadership is seen in the way God holds Adam to account in the origin story of humanity. I'll give you one more. A male leadership is seen in the order of creation itself, that man was made first. Why do I think that? Well, I think that because the apostle Paul thinks that. In fact, in 1 Timothy 2, 12 to 14, it's the apostle Paul who points to this very fact that man was created first when he teaches male leadership in the church. And what does he do? He doesn't just say, hey, guys in the church, I just think it's a good idea that men lead, and then he walks away. He doesn't do that. He roots his exhortation. He roots the command for men to take leadership in the church. He roots it in what? In the Genesis account. He says men should take leadership because man was made first. See, he's tying things together theologically. That according to God's design, God created man first. God appointed him as leader and established the headship submission dynamic, which, by the way, is beautifully present 
in the very Godhead in the Trinity. Uh, some of you don't like the leadership uh, submission dynamic. I mean, our world hates it. When you hear the word headship and submission, the, the world hates it. Some of you get a little uncomfortable. But if you're uncomfortable with the fact that God has designed men to lead, if you're uncomfortable with the idea that there is such thing in God's created order of authority and submission, then you are uncomfortable with God. Because in the Godhead itself, we have one God, three persons, equal in, in essence, but distinct in roles. And the Apostle Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, that Jesus himself submits to the Father. And so the authority submission dynamic is not designed to be oppressive. The authority submission dynamic is designed to be absolutely, stunningly beautiful. But we don't see the beauty of it because we've been taken up and taken captive by the vain philosophies of the world. One of my aims, as I said, is to give you an idea of what it means to be a man and a woman and to give us an idea of the significance of marriage, but also to help us to celebrate unapologetically the beauty of God's design and how he made us. We will not be a church that is ashamed that God has created and designed men to lead. We will celebrate this because we understand that leadership is not domination. Leadership is not control. Leadership is humble, sacrificial love. Leadership puts itself in the way, in harm's way to protect others. In fact, that takes us to our next point. We'll get to protector, but secondly, the biblical man is not only a leader. Secondly, I want you to see the biblical man is, is a provider, is a provider. You remember from last week that God put Adam in the garden and gave him the task of working. And we're going to see that Eve will have a crucial and indispensable role in this task. We're going to get there next week. But Adam bears the primary responsibility for the work. In Genesis 3, when God curses the man and the woman because of their sin, this is important to understand, the woman's sphere of childbearing is what's greatly impacted, while it's the man's sphere of working and providing that's impacted. Because according to God's design, it is the man who is called to shoulder the primary responsibility for provision through work. So, for all the men in the room, God has designed us to carry the primary responsibility for work and provision, for the provision of the physical needs of those that we lead. But not only that, because some of you men think, man, I'm being a biblical man. I, I bring home the bacon. I, you know, I have a good job. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do. But you're very disengaged in every other sphere of life. Provision is not just the provision of physical needs, but there are uh, spiritual needs that you as the leader must provide for. There are intellectual needs that you as a leader, that we as leaders must provide for. There are emotional needs that we as leaders 
a must provide for. And all of this has less to do with what we do and more to do with the state of our hearts. Whether you're married and providing for your family physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, or whether you're a single man living out your call to care for others. Single men in the room, you're built to be a provider, to provide for others, to care for others, to give yourself to others. That's who you are. You're built that way. The origin story in Genesis shows us what it means to be a man. We are built to be providers. So I want you to think for a moment what that looks like in your own life, whether married or single. Let me just lovingly say, single brothers in the room, you don't have a a pass. You can't sit here and say, well, listen, I don't have a family. I don't provide for anyone, so I'm just going to check out. Bound up in the fabric of what it means to be a man is a providing nature. Did you know that there are needs in our church? Did you know that there are needs in the lives of your friends that you can participate in because of who you are, because of the way God has made you? We want to be challenged with this. The biblical man is a leader, not one who controls, not one who dominates one who leads. The biblical man is a provider, one who gives himself and cares for others, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually and intellectually for those around us. But there's a third thing. The biblical man is not only a leader, a provider, but I alluded to this earlier. The biblical man is, is a protector, is a protector. Last week we saw that the Hebrew word used for work and keep was also translated serve and guard. To keep the garden was also meant to guard the garden. Adam's task in the garden involved protecting the garden from intruders. We alluded to this last week, that when that serpent approached his wife, I mean, I don't know what he was doing, and I'm not going to be too critical because I don't know if I would have done anything different. I like to think that I would be different. But Adam should have stepped in the way, stepped right in between the serpent and his wife. He should have grabbed that serpent by the tail and threw that thing over the walls of the garden because his job given by God was to protect. But he failed. And the consequences were tragic. So Adam's task in the garden involved protecting. And this is seen even in the biology, in the biological difference between men and women, the way God has made us. For example, I'm sure you're aware that men have more muscle mass than women. That generally speaking, men are bigger. Generally speaking, men are stronger. There's something in our physiology, there's something in our biology that you just look with the naked eye and you can see what it means to be a man, to protect, to stand in the way of those who seek to harm those that are under our leadership. So biblical men are tasked with guarding and protecting those under our care, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and 
intellectually. That means, loved ones, listen, some of you think protection is limited to the physical realm. I know some of you have a baseball bat in your, in your closet, front closet, because if somebody walks into your house and they're not welcome, you're going to pull out that baseball bat and you're going to protect your family. Some of you, you take pride in that. You're physically strong and, and you're like, I'm going to take care of my family physically. But what about the other realms? Men, we are built to protect. So that means fathers. You can't let your kids sit in a private room with an iPad for hours by themselves because you're not protecting them uh, emotionally. You're not protecting them from the dangers of what's coming out of that iPad. You're not protecting them from the dangers of what's coming out from the internet. You're not guarding them. You may think you're guarding them physically, but you're not guarding them spiritually or emotionally if you leave them alone to just sit there and waste all their hours on an iPad. And let me just encourage you, loved ones, there's a lot more to protection than just the physical realm. That means, husbands, that we don't ignore our wives when they're distraught or struggling to resist some lie from the devil because that's dangerous for their spiritual health and they need protection. They need us to lead them to the word of God. They need us to speak and pray over them words of life and truth. They need us not to be disengaged in another room watching some show or scrolling some social media feed. They need our protection to protect their hearts from danger. And I would suggest to you that some of the most insidious danger of our world is not necessarily physical, but it is spiritual and emotional in nature. So whatever you do with your children, whatever your schooling options are, whether you send them to public school or a Catholic school or you homeschool them or a Christian school, whatever you've decided is best for your family, fathers, it's your responsibility. It's our responsibility to protect them. What is going into their ears? You have to know. What is filling their minds? You have to know. What is infiltrating their lives? You have to know to the best of your ability so that you can protect them. This is what it means to be a biblical man, to be a leader, to be a provider, to be a protector. That means that we can't turn a blind eye, men, to the broken, to the vulnerable, to the elderly, to the unborn. Men are protectors. So what does it say about the state of manhood in the church when there's an outreach in the community or there's a prayer meeting or the pregnancy care center or there's some kind of way that we can speak words of life or be involved in protecting others and men 
are nowhere to be found. What does that mean? Well, you can have the baseball bat in the closet all day long and be ready to protect your family from an intruder. But if you're not aware, if you're not ready to protect in this culture, in this society, the many vulnerable that are around us, men have to lead the charge in the church and outside the walls of the church. That means men have to care about things like abortion because there are vulnerable, unborn lives being slaughtered Why is it only women who care about this? Men have to lead the charge because there's protection needed. That's who you are. That's who I am. Why is it all the women want to go to the outreach? Where are the men? You're protectors. You want to go and minister to the vulnerable. Whatever it is, loved ones, the challenge The challenge for us as men is to wake up, to understand from the origin story of humanity that God has built us as leaders. Leaders don't sleep. Leaders are awake. Leaders are alert. Leaders take account. We are providers. Providers don't look to their own interests only. They have to look to the interests of those under their care. God has built us as protectors. Protectors can't sleep. Protectors can't zone out. Protectors can't be selfish. Protectors must be aware of the many ways, many doors God has opened in front of them to protect and to contribute. So that's a word, not just for Married men, it's a word for the single men. You can live out your manhood even if you are not married. You can live out your manhood by functioning as a protector. Now, if all of this is overwhelming to hear, I want you to know that in many ways it was overwhelming for me too. Because there are too many days where I only want to think about myself as a man. There are too many days where I only want to do what serves me well as a man. But I want to share this quote with you from David Mathis. David Mathis wrote this. He wrote, lead, protect, and provide. Masculinity is more than these, but not less. He said, this headship is not one of privilege, this love, not one of ease. It is not the position of one being weighted on hand and foot, but of one stooping to his knees to wash her feet and shoulder the crossbeam on the way to Calvary. He writes, while we are called to shoulder the mantle of primary provider, humanly speaking, listen, we are not the final provider. God is the great provider. And so to all the men in the room, if you feel the burden of leading, if you feel the burden of providing, if you feel the burden of protecting, whether you are married or whether you are single, I want you to understand Our gospel tells us that you are not alone 
There is, in fact, a greater leader. There is a greater provider. And there is a greater protector to whom we must look. And all of our leadership and all of our provision and all of our protection must come in the context of humble submission and surrender to the greatest leader, provider, protector, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So this is not a call for men to just dig their heels in and lift up their fists and say, yeah, we're going to do this. This is a call to say we understand with greater clarity what we are called to do, so we lean in to the Lord Jesus Christ. We depend on him in humility. We seek him in prayer. We lead in Bible reading. We lead in dependence upon the Lord in prayer. We lead in our church attendance. We lead in serving in the church. We lead in these ways. And what you'll find, men, is just by leaning into Jesus and leaning that way, uh, your family will follow. Why are so many families late to church? Because dad's late to church. Why are so many families leaving the Bible dusty on the shelf because dad's leaving the Bible dusty on the shelf? Why are so many families disengaged from the purposes God has for them because dad's disengaged? I'm telling you, loved ones. Men, you have a crucial role. We have a crucial role. Today, the call is feel the burden of it, feel the weight of it, and lean into Jesus Christ. And our perfect leader, perfect protector, provider will strengthen us to be whom he's called us to be. Amen? Amen. Next week, ladies, you're up next week. Let's pray together. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.